Amen. Well, if you've been with us the last few weeks, then you know we're in a series right now called Unrefined But Defined. And what we've been doing in this series is looking at some people in the Bible, people who really lived, um, who really um, had experiences and, and times with God, where they, they had an encounter at some point in their life, and it changed everything for them. They came face to face with Jesus in a moment, or God in a moment. And after that moment, they were never the same. They were living with um, an unrefined status, is what we've been saying. That, that uh, Peter, one who was you know, kind of a rough and tumble fisherman, he didn't know a lot of word. He wasn't what the world would say is defined. He had some, um, some character qualities and some things like that that he had to get past. We looked at Paul last week and how in the world standards, he was extremely refined. He had the highest prestige that anyone could have. He had the credentials. But spiritually, he was still dead on unto Christ, still dead unto God, and so it took a refining of his spirit before he could be brought up to a place to be used as a powerful um, man and platform for God to get the gospel out in the early days of, of the message of Christ. And so we've been looking at these encounters in these men's lives. Where, where in a moment everything changed. In a moment the fisherman becomes a fisher of men. In a moment the person who was persecuting and killing Christians becomes the person who, who is helping promote and, and helping encourage Christians. A moment of, of rapid change, of rapid redefinement where God says, you know, you may, be, you may have been headed for this course, your, your life may have been headed this direction, but I have a new definition for you because there is a new relationship that you now have. We've been talking about how a new perspective is received at this moment in time. When we get, uh, when we get saved, when we come to know Jesus, when we have our face-to-face -face encounter with him and our life changes forever, we get a new perspective, one of God's perspective rather than our own. On our first week, we talked about how God sees things in a different way than we see them. You know, we look through a lens of reality, what here and now looks like, what here and now um, would say or what our definition would be here and now. God is um, omnipotent, omniscient. He's big. He's powerful. He knows all. He sees all. He looks beyond the present situation and sees what is ahead in our future. And so when he defines us in a way that looks different than our life and our circumstance right now, we know that we can have faith in his definition because he sees more and knows more than we know. Amen? And so because we know that God has this perspective, we can receive it into our life. We can receive that new definition into our life and say we have potential perspective. Would you say that with me? I've got potential perspective. My perspective is no longer focused entirely on what I see and experience around me right now, but rather my perspective has shifted to what God's word has said about me, what names he has given me. You know, the first week we kind of looked at how God sees us different. Last week we looked more so at how we begin to see ourselves in a different light and change. This week one of the things I want to encourage you in the most is that in order to see yourself in a new definition, you need to know how you've been defined. You need to know the word and know what God has said about you so that you can receive that into your life. Because if, if I don't know what he said, but I'm trying to base my new definition and decide who I'm going to be, my identity, if I'm basing it on what he said, but I don't know what he said, well then what we've got is a bunch of confused people who don't know who they are. And that's not effective for God. 
We need to know who we are. And the only way we come to know that is by reading the word, studying the word, and looking at what he has said about us. Looking at the identity he's given us. Aren't you glad God's given us a new identity? Amen. Well, I want to just give you a few things and then we're going to get started in 1 Peter 2. Few things that he has defined you as, and what we've looked at so far in this series, uh, we know with Peter, one of the the qualities we saw is consistency. Consistent. Peter was a rock, one who would be consistent and build the church. He wasn't always consistent. It took him a while to get there. But we see the fruit as we read the epistles of Peter, and we see what uh, church he helped to build. There was consistency that came. The new definition that God gave. Peter was also called victorious. And that's something you and I have been called today as well. Victorious. We're no longer losers. Aren't you glad? I'm glad I'm not a loser. I'm glad I'm a victor in Christ. New definition. We're filled with the Spirit. And I mean, we we could spend weeks just talking about what all that means. But when you're filled with the Spirit, you have access to a new power, a new relationship, a new knowledge and revelation, which we prayed for before we even started this morning. You have the fruit of the Spirit, what He brings. It's inside of you now. You've been redefined. So if you need to go read Galatians 5.22 and see what the Spirit is... You now have that in you. You've now been defined in that way. If you've received the Holy Spirit, you've received His definition. Yes. Yes. Humble. One we saw with Paul last week. Humility. A key to being a Christian. Because if you're not humble, then then what you're really doing is placing your value and your position above God's. I know that I need Christ to be anything. I know that in Christ I have tremendous value. It's not of my own works, but it is all to the glory of God. Humility. Humble is one thing that we are. Freed is another. We talked about the snake bite and how, in a natural sense, Paul was a murderer. He, he kind of got the punishment that it looked like he deserved. But because God was in him, because God had changed him and given him new life and redeemed him of his sins, that venom from the snake did not kill him, even though that would have been what was expected. We're freed from the penalty of our sin in Christ. Hallelujah. Aren't you glad you're free people today? These are just a few of the qualities we've seen so far. And with freedom, we could even say that we are grace. We're going to talk a little bit more about the grace of God today. 1 Peter 2, verses 9 and 10 are where I want to start reading. And in this, it's just chock full of definition. This scripture just loads you up with definition. This is God saying, this is who you are. This is your new identity. So let's read this together and see who we are in Christ. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. I can stop right there and be happy with that. Hallelujah. I'm chosen. You are chosen by God. You are a royal priesthood. Royalty. Man, you can watch about royalty on Netflix, but it's a whole different thing to know that God has made you royal. And being royalty in Christ is better than the crown or any other kind of royalty you're going to find anywhere else. This is a royalty that goes beyond this life on earth. This is an incorruptible royalty, the family of God. And a a royalty with endless supply. A royalty with, with endless reach and power. And a kingdom that will never end. Every kingdom on earth comes to an end. But the royalty that we have will never end. God's kingdom will never end. So our royalty is not for just this moment and just this time. Our royalty, what God has made us royal in, will last forever. Holy nation. Praise God that I'm holy. 
You know, I couldn't say that about myself before Jesus came into my life, but now that he's here, I can know that I am a holy nation. We are a holy people for God. His own special people. That's just so personal, isn't it? His own special people. Do you have someone in your life who's special? Do you have that special someone? Maybe you're sitting next to them. You can look at them and just say, you're my special someone. <sighs> and if they're not here, maybe, maybe text them after service or something like that. You're special. God has special people, and it's you and me. My goodness, that, that tells me so much about who I am. I, I'm special to God. Man, well, I'm not, I'm not going to look to be special to anybody else. That I mean, if I am, that's great. But, but I don't need to be someone else's special someone if I'm God's. Right. I, I have total confidence in my value, total confidence in my worth, total confidence in acceptance when I know that I'm God's special someone. Because you, you take care of your special someone. You, you care about your special someone. Man, I think sometimes we need to remember that we're God's special people. That we're not just another person on a planet of six billion, seven billion. I am someone special to God. You know, I tell, we, we go up to the prison on Monday nights and minister to the guys up there. And one of the things we always start the service off is I, I say, look at somebody and tell them you're glad to see them. And then we all say, hey, somebody, it's good to see you. You know, because we don't always know all their names. And so we just look and we're like, hey, somebody, good to see you. And I tell them this, you are somebody. You are somebody because Christ has made you somebody. I am a special people, one of the special people in God's eyes. Hallelujah. This is good definition, isn't it? Yeah. That you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. I have been removed from darkness and brought into light. Yeah. Hallelujah. All that darkness that was behind me, I'm no longer involved in. Man, if I'd remember this every moment of every day... I'm in the light. I'm in the light. My identity is one who's in the light. It gets you through a, a lot of uh, questions. It gets you through a lot of, a lot of temptations. It gets you through some things to just say, I am in the light. I am in God's marvelous, marvelous light. Let's go on and read verse 10. <clears throat> Who once were not a people, but now the people of God. Who had not obtained mercy, but have now have obtained mercy. I am a holder of mercy. I'm a person who proclaims God's promises, as we see in verse 9. It says, I was, I was saved and I was made this person so I could proclaim the praises of Him who called me out of darkness and into light. I have a mission in my identity. Isn't that good? I don't just know who I am. I know what I'm here for. To proclaim the praises of Him. And we're the people of God having obtained mercy. You know, I can't stress this enough. Everything we've been made in Christ, we are because of mercy. Because of, we could say, grace. It's God's power. His goodness in our life, that quality alone is what makes us who we are. What gives us the purpose that we now have. Because before Christ, I, I could not have called myself any of these things. I couldn't do it. I, I, I maybe could try to be that, but I'd be inconsistent. I, I, I wouldn't be victorious. And, and those times that it didn't work out would be the times that defined me. You know? 
Because it, it's totally on me. It's totally my power. So if I can't make this happen, then that means I'm not it. But in Christ, that all changes. Because it's not by my power. It's by His mercy. It's by God's grace that I've been made someone new. It's by God's grace that I've been given a new identity. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's look at Genesis 25, 22 through 26 and say, I have potential perspective. You can say it, yeah. I have potential perspective. I've got a new perspective of the potential God's given me. And I think this is the progression. As we get to know God's perspective of us, we can accept that and make it our perspective. We can start seeing ourselves the way God sees us. And then when we see that, we can give ourselves a new name. See, there's like a sequence of events here. First, I have to see that God sees me different. Then I have to start seeing myself different. And then I can receive and accept and live in the new name, the new definition Christ has given me. You see that today? There's a progression. Today we're going to talk about Jacob. Jacob, who would go on to be called Israel. And how he was someone who tried to be someone. He was trying to be somebody. He was trying to make things happen for himself. And today what we're going to see is, it was not until he got a revelation of the mercy of God, of the grace of God, of the need for God's power in his life, that he could really become who God wanted him to be. Let's read in Genesis 25, 22 through 26. But the children... This is talking about his mother. Um, him, and, him and his twin brother were in his mother's womb. And it says, but the children struggled together within her. And she said, if all is well, why am I like this? So she went to inquire to the Lord. And the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb. Two peoples shall be separated from your body. One people shall be stronger, stronger than the other. And the older shall serve the younger. And, and back then, that was not right, okay? The older did not serve the younger. There was, there was a, um, like a, a priority. There was a, a way things were, and this wasn't the way. So when her days were fulfilled for her to give birth, indeed, there were twins in her womb. And the first came out red. He was like a hairy garment all over. So they called his name Esau. Afterward, his brother came out, and his hand took a hold of Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. Now, the names that we see here, you know, I, I, I've never named a child, and, and I'm sure that it's, it's a, a weighty thing that parents, you probably consider it quite heavily what you're going to name your kids. Maybe you don't. Like I said, I've never named a child, so I don't know. But back then, it, it seems like they, they just went pretty simple. It was like, well, he's hairy and red, so we're going to call him Esau. He grabbed his brother's heel, so we're going to call him Jacob. You know, pretty easy. The thing about their names is they gave definition to them. Jacob, if we define that, was, uh, it was not necessarily a good name. Did you know that? Jacob, it, it, the original Hebrew meaning isn't actually that nice. Here's what Jacob means, okay? It means to supplant, to overreach, to come from behind. If we uh, define the word supplant, because... You know, I maybe could use it in a sentence, but I couldn't give a very good definition. Anybody in here who maybe couldn't define supplant all on your own right now if I asked you to? Well, here's the definition. To take the place of and serve as a substitute for, especially by reason of superior excellence or, or, or power. Supplanted means to take the place of. To, to, we could say in Jacob's case, take over what was rightfully someone else's supplanted himself 
um, in that position. And Jacob was, was called this. I mean, the word Jacob, the name, meant this. And they all knew it. That's why they knew what to call him, because they knew it means grab the heel to you know, go out and, and kind of get in front of. They knew what they were calling him, and they, they kept calling him it. You know, I kind of got to give Jacob a, a little bit of credit in the sense that I don't think his family did him any favors. You know, I mean, we could, we could maybe think of some not-so-nice words today, and if you named a kid that, that kid would be at a slight disadvantage in life. Don't you think? Like, if every time I saw someone, I, I just said, hey, loser, I, I don't know. I, I don't know what to say, okay? <laughs> Fill in the blank, okay? Something not so nice, and every time you see this kid, you're just calling him it. Hey, loser. Hey, worthless. Hey, dummy. I don't know. Whatever you want to fill it in with. What if every time you saw this kid, you were just reinforcing this fact that you are not good? That you're this guy who just, you try to work your way into places you're not supposed to, you try to, you try to get in places you're not supposed to be. You, you go around what's right and just kind of make your own way. Well, I'd probably start doing that if I was him. If every time someone talked to me, they were calling that out in me, I'd probably start doing it. You ever notice that when somebody calls something out in you, they keep saying, hey, you're this, hey, you're this, hey, you're this. I kind of start to become that. Whether it's good or bad, that expectation kind of starts to define me. Well, Jacob, I kind of got to give him some credit. He was at a little bit of a disadvantage in the sense that everybody was defining him with this definition of supplanter person who overreaches and, and tries to take the place of. You know, kind of along the same line of supplanting, I, I kind of want to come at it from both sides today. Like, it's, it's not good in the sense that you're trying to, like, outdo what's right. You're trying to do something that's not right. But in the same sense, I kind of appreciate Jacob because he was active. I mean, he was like a get-it-done guy. He went out and, and went after what he wanted. He worked hard. He, well, some of it's not so good. I mean, he manipulated, he lied, he deceived. We're going to see that today. Like, he did whatever it took to get what he wants. I can kind of appreciate that quality. Anybody in here that kind of appreciates the people that get stuff done? That they, they, they go after what they want. I appreciate that. I think God does too, actually. Colossians 3.23 says, And whatever you do, do it heartily, as to the Lord and not to men. Proverbs 14.23 says, In all labor there's profit, but idle chatter leads only to poverty. And Proverbs 12.24 says, The hand of diligent will rule. The hand of the diligent will rule, but the lazy man will be put to forced labor. I think God appreciates hard work. And so I, I don't want to give the wrong message today where I'm saying, just like, chill out, don't, don't work, don't push hard, don't, don't try too hard. Just, we're going to get to a place today where we're talking about rest. And I want to make this a whole message where I'm not saying, rest and that's it. There is work, there is diligence, there is our part, our hand in what God wants to do in our life. But the problem is, and what Jacob's problem was, is he took God out of the equation and he said, if I want to get what I want, then I'm going to have to do whatever it takes to get there. Whether it means extra work, whether it means deception, whether it means lying and cheating and stealing, I'm going to get what I want. And I hope just by my definition you can see that that's not a good thing. Can you see that? That that's not a good thing. This supplanting thing, this overreaching thing is not so good. But, but hard work, hey, praise the Lord for hard workers. Nothing wrong with working hard. So I want to make sure we get, we get that straight today. Someone who would strive. Strive is one of the words that I found just, just coming up 
in my spirit as I was preparing. Supplanting and striving are kind of the two words that I think of. To supplant is to come in and take the place of. To strive, I'll give you this definition, says to make great efforts to achieve or obtain something. To struggle or fight vigorously. Whatever it takes. I'm striving. I'm going to get there. I'm going to get it done. I'm going to do it because I need to make it happen. This is what I see in Jacob. Do you see this in Jacob? You will, as we read on here. Jacob was a striver. He did whatever it took to get what he wanted. My dad had a word for this, and I didn't know this was a real word until I looked it up this morning. (laughs) Finagle. You ever heard that before? Finagle. Didn't know it was a real, I thought it was just one of his like crazy North Dakota words, because that's where he's from, and they say all kinds of weird stuff up there, okay? (laughs) We love North Dakotans. So finagle, he'd always say, yeah, yeah, you know, they just, they finagled their way to make this happen. He finagled this thing, and maybe you've used it too. I always thought it was a funny word. It it turns out it's legitimate. It's a real word. And that's kind of what I was thinking. Striving, finagling, I mean, it's this person who just like makes things happen, because they want to get it done. They want their way. Here's what I, I, I came to see with striving and, and supplanting. Okay, we got those two definitions straight, right? Strive is to just give all this work to make it happen. Supplant is that overreach kind of, I'm out of my place, but getting where I want to be. Okay, they're, they're different. Striving is like the, the fire behind the force. The, the supplanting is kind of the, the, the force. It's, it's the plan. Okay, here's what I came to. Striving on your own behalf supplants God's power. Striving on your own behalf supplants God's power. When all of your energy and all of your focus is to work and obtain and fight to get where you want to go, you are removing God from the equation. You are circling around God's ability, God's grace, God's mercy to make you who you're supposed to be by trying to do it yourself. And as we saw, God, God honors work. But he does not honor people taking him out of the equation. God needs to be part of the equation, doesn't he? Ephesians 6 verse 10 says this, kind of directing us to God's power. It says, finally, brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Proverbs 25, 27 says, it is not good to eat much honey. So seek, uh, so to seek one's own glory is not glory. These two things work in conjunction, Okay. Ephesians 6.10 is revealing that there is strength in God's power. That it's God's power that makes us strong. And then the verse we read in Proverbs, it's talking to that uh, supplanting word. There's not glory in seeking your own glory. Striving and supplanting. The supplanting is, is seeking one's own. The striving done without God removes his strength. When we strive without God, when we're supplanting to get our own glory, we're going to be left disappointed. Like it says, it's not good to eat much honey. Well, it's also not good to pursue one's own glory. We glorify God with our life. Because we've received Christ in us, that's that humility thing we talked about last week. If you weren't here, you can go back and listen to it. Humility says, I... I think less of myself and I think the best of God. 
God is the top priority. God is the one I want to glorify. As I live and I do, I, I pray that all that I do would glorify God. That's even Colossians 3.23 that we read. Um, whatever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord and not men, so that it would glorify the Lord. We want to give glory to God with our life. Amen. So we're talking about Jacob's name, the supplanter, the striver, this one who was just willing to do anything it would take to make things happen for himself. You know, I, I did think a couple other things just about his name and how they called him Jacob. They, you know, they named him this as a child. And it kind of, what I said is it, it stuck with him. You know, it's a name that stuck with him over his life. It was a constant reminder like we were talking about. Um, people limit you by how they see you. Have you ever experienced that? Someone limiting you based on the way that they see you. They're not looking at you through your perspective or God's perspective. They're looking at you based on, well, I used to know them back, back in this day, and man, let me tell you, they're not the perfect Christian you think they are. You ever heard somebody talk like that? That's kind of, this is a, a side note, that's a great opportunity to, to talk about God's power. Well, yeah, they might have been when you knew them, but let me tell you what, Jesus changed their life. They're a totally different person today than they were then. So that's my side note. Constant reminder. Even Jesus experienced this. In uh, Mark 6, it talks about when, when he was rejected at his hometown of Nazareth. It says, then he went out from there, came to his own country, and his disciples followed him. When the Sabbath had come, they began to teach in the synagogue. And many hearing him were astonished, saying, where did this man get these things? And what wisdom is this which is given to him that such mighty works are performed by his hands? Is this not the carpenter, the son of, of Mary, and the brother of James, Joseph, Judah, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? So they were offended at him. And Jesus said, a prophet is not without honor except in his own country, among his own relatives, and in his own house. He could do no mighty work there, except he laid hands on a few sick people. Jesus was limited because people had a poor perspective. Let me tell you this. And we talked about it some weeks ago when we were talking about the seed. Anybody remember about the seed? How we got to spread it? We got to throw it? You will give an answer for what you do. Other people will give an answer for how they receive. Jesus still went to Nazareth. He still preached in the synagogue. But the people didn't receive him. There are going to be people in your life that do not receive you. Whether it's because of the past or something they heard one time, it's not your job to make them receive. It's just your job to sow the seed. So keep on sowing and then keep on going. Living up to expectations. Labels are hard to shake. I think Jacob, you know, I'm sure he had his own hand in, in becoming who he was and kind of doing the deception that we're going to read about next. But nobody was helping him out. And one of the other things that I, I want to get to here, and we will a little bit later, I think, is that we need to help each other with, with our perspective. We've got to help each other with our names. You know, when, when my brother or sister in Christ is not seeing themselves through the, the perspective that God's given them, I ought to come in and remind them of what God said. I ought to not cut them down and give them, give them a bad time saying, oh, you missed it again, oh, you did it again support, edify, build one another up. we got to help each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. Amen? We actually see that in Ephesians 4.29. It says, Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good 
for necessary edification that it may impart grace to the hearers. When I speak to people, I should be defining them through God's perspective rather than what I see right now. Man, that would change a church, that would change a city, that would change a family. If every time I talk to somebody, I was calling out what God says about them. Can you see how that's powerful? Man, I would start believing it. <laughs> Everybody's saying, hey, you're this, hey, you're this, hey, you're this. Hey, God says you're this. Sometimes we need to be reminded of what God says about us. I mean, I'm doing that right here today for you all that are listening and all of you online. Come to church, please. <laughs> you like how I got that in there? Yeah. Now listen. <laughs> uh, what was I just saying? <laughs> you got to remind who you are. You got to be reminded who you are. And I can do that right now. We're not going to preach about identity every single week. But you ought to have some brothers and sisters in your church family that will remind you every week who you are in Christ. Get involved in a small group. <clears throat> See, I got lots of plugs this morning. I'm just plugging away. Let's look at Jacob, Striver. Genesis 25. We're going to go through these quick. Genesis 25, 31-33. Looking at two examples of how Jacob strived. Jacob said, he's talking to his brother. His brother had just come back. He'd been hunting. He was hungry. He says, sell me your birthright as of this day. And Esau said, look, I'm about to die. He wasn't really about to die. He was just hungry. What is the birthright to me? He says, I don't care about this birthright if I'm not even going to live any longer. Give me some food, Jacob. Then Jacob said, swear to me this day. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. This is that supplanting thing that we were talking about a little bit ago. Esau owned the birthright. The birthright was his. And Jacob supplanted himself into that position of, of owning the birthright by getting Esau to sell it to him. Now, you, you could probably make a case that, well, Jacob didn't do anything wrong. He offered some soup. Esau wanted some soup. It was a, you know, it was a good deal. Fair trade. Well, not really. Esau was impulsive and he had his own issues and Jacob took advantage of that. It's not right to take advantage of your brother or anybody for your own gain. That's the kind of striving that God cannot bless. That's the kind of hard work that God cannot bless is I'm going to step on other people to make myself great. I'm going to get myself to the top any way I have to. That was Jacob's attitude. Let's look at another example just a couple chapters later in 27, 35 through 36. But he said, now this is after Jacob had, uh, he had come in and, and he had tricked his father. Not only had he already gotten the birthright, now he was going after the blessing. And he had gone in, he, he put on his brother's clothes and, and like hair and, and he brought in this wild game that his brother would have brought to his dad and he goes in and he tricks his blind elderly father into giving him the blessing that he had been saving for Esau. This is what we see in verse 27. He said, your brother came with deceit. Now, now um, Isaac is talking to Esau. He says, your brother came in with deceit and has taken away your blessing. And Esau said... Is he not rightly named Jacob? See, there's that name again. He's just like, of course Jacob would do this. It's what Jacob does. You ever thought that way about somebody? Or, or yourself? Or someone else has said it about you? Of course they would do that. That's what 
he does. That's what she does. That's who she is. That's who he is. That's what they do. See, they, they expected this from Jacob. And so we, especially in our, in our family, which is all of us right here, we got to have this right. We got to have expectations of each other right. When somebody does something that reminds you of their old way before they came to know Christ, we don't, we don't say, oh, of course they would do that. Of, you, know, you know what they used to do? I mean, it is a little better than what they used to do. What we ought to say is, you know what, that was a mistake, but Christ says, you are this. Jesus, he, he calls you something different. So let's get that past out of here and remember who we are in Christ. But they didn't do that for Jacob. They were just like, of course Jacob did that. Of course he did it. For he has supplanted me these two times. He took away my birthright, and now he's taken away my blessing. And he said, have you not reserved a blessing for me? Jacob stole the blessing that was meant for his brother. If we go on about five chapters into Genesis 32, 6 through 7, Jacob's past comes back to, to get him. You ever had the past come back to get you? You did something you weren't supposed to do, and then a little while later you're like, oh man, shouldn't have done that. Wasn't worth it. Now I got problems. Well, this is what's happening for Jacob. It says, Then the messengers returned to Jacob, saying, We came to your brother Esau, and he also is coming to meet you. With 400 men are with him. So Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. He divided the people that were with him, and the flocks, herds, camels into two companies. Eventually, the striving and supplanting, trying to make things happen for yourself is going to come back to get you if it's, if it's done wrongfully. Hard work and honest work, that, that's something God can bless and use. But I'm just telling you, if you're in this constant state of striving and trying to make it happen for yourself, that bad business deal might come back someday. That, that um, I don't know, you, we could give a bunch of other examples. That career move, that you weren't supposed to make, but, but you just wanted it so bad, and I want it right now, that may come back. Now the good news, like we read about last week, is that we are redeemed from the curse of sin. So God will deliver us, and what we're going to see is God delivers Jacob after they have a face-to-face -face encounter. But outside of Christ, when we're striving and doing it on our own, when, when we do stuff wrong, it eventually catches up. It eventually comes back. And so Jacob is at this face-to-face -face moment where uh, he's looking across the river. His brother's coming with all his men there. Jacob's thinking, I'm in trouble now. My brother's bringing all his strong guys. They're going to come and slaughter us and take everything we have. We're in trouble. This is a bad situation. It says he was scared. <clears throat> and so in this moment, he has a choice. He can try to do what he's always done, and continue striving to make it happen for himself, or he can turn to the God of his father. Let's see what he does. <clears throat> In Genesis uh, 32, 24 through 28, is what we're going to read next. We see that Jacob makes a decision to stop the strive. To stop the strive. Why don't you say that to somebody? Stop the strive comes to a point where he realizes all my effort, all my hard work is not enough to make this happen anymore. I have to stop this. And here is how it stopped. Jacob was left alone. He sent everybody else on the way. <clears throat> and he said uh, a man wrestled with him until 
the breaking of day. All night, him and this man wrestled. Now when he saw that he did not prevail against him, that's the man that was wrestling Jacob, he touched the socket of his hip. The socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. That's kind of a disadvantage. Like he's, I would say he's losing here. Okay, his hip just popped out of the socket. That's, we've got, we've got Philip over there. Is that bad? That's bad. Okay, so we, we've established that that's bad. He goes on and continues wrestling. He's like, you know, this just shows the desperation to me. This just shows how desperate Jacob was. That I'm like broken right now, but I'm going to continue wrestling because I need what God has. I'm at a point that I cannot face my brother and all his men. I, I will lose. I'm at the end of my ability. I'm at the end of my striving. And so now the only place I can look is to God. And even though it hurts right now because my hip's like busted, I'm going to continue holding on because I need what God has. He needed God. says, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, what is your name? He said, Jacob. And he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. He held on until he was blessed because he knew that his own ability wouldn't be enough to continue doing what he needed to do. He knew that for me to be who I'm supposed to be, for me to, for me to continue living like I'm supposed to, I need help. And so he held on to God. When you and I need help being who we're supposed to be, when we come to the end of trying to make it happen for ourselves, we have to hold on to God and say, God, I need your power in my life. I need your blessing because what I've got isn't enough. My effort, my striving isn't enough to make it happen anymore. He had this face-to-face -face encounter with God. It says he was alone. It was just him and God. And he got to a point where he had to break down and say, God, I can't do it anymore. I cannot do this thing on my own anymore. I need your help. And what we see is he was renamed Israel. The definition of Israel is God contends. God contends. God now fights on behalf of Jacob. God now fights on behalf of Israel. It was no longer his power necessary to achieve and accomplish. It was God's power working in him. You see, <clears throat> Jacob, who was renamed Israel, had a number of moments that would need God's power. That, that going forward, his own striving would not have been enough. Obviously facing Esau and his men, he needed God's blessing. He knew that, that he couldn't get through that on his own. He loses his son Joseph, who later on his brothers, you know, they don't like him. They sell him off to the Egyptians. His son's gone. He needed God's power to get through that time. We even see uh, a time of famine where God used Joseph to deliver Jacob in his house, Israel in his house. He needed God's power. Jacob can't go out and make the ground grow. His striving, his efforts aren't going to be enough to make that happen on his own. And then greater Israel, not just this man, but the nation of Israel as a whole, were going to need God's power. They, they couldn't continue to, to walk through what God was going to take them through by themselves. 
They needed God's power to escape Egypt. They needed God's power to survive in the wilderness. They needed God's power to conquer the land of Canaan. They needed God's power to be delivered from Babylon. Do you see the need for God's power? That it can't be our effort and our striving all the time. If that's what we're limited to, we cannot live up to the definition God's given us. I cannot live up to God's definition of me under my own ability and power. It's only by the mercy that I've obtained, by the grace God's given, that I can be who He says I am. Amen. Praise the Lord for calling us something better and giving us the power to live like it's true. Let's look at just a couple more passages of Scripture. Proverbs 20, verses 3. Uh, just verse 3. We're going to talk about rest for just a moment, and then we're going to begin wrapping up. It's honorable for a man to stop striving. Since any fool can start a quarrel, anybody can try to make something happen for themselves. Not everybody will, but anybody can. Anybody can exert their own effort. But it's honorable for a man to stop striving. Why is it honorable for a man to stop trying to make it happen all on his own? Because when you say, I don't have the ability to do this all on my own, you're calling out on God. And saying, God, I need your help. That's an honorable thing. You know, I can say that I've felt challenged before to, to be able to do it all on my own. Anybody ever felt that challenge? You've got to do it yourself. And, and I'm, I'm not saying that it isn't this way for ladies, but like, guys, I've been there where it's like, oh, well, if you're a real man, you just do it yourself. <laughs> you like my, my accent? <laughs> no. It's honorable to admit that I need God's help in my life. It gives God an opportunity to do something great in me that I can't do on my own. What's honorable about trying and failing when, when instead you could rely on God and succeed? I would rather receive God's help and rest in His power and succeed rather than give everything I've got and strive my hardest all day every day and still fail. It's better to go with the grace of God, isn't it? So we want to we stop the striving. We want to stop the finagling, just to give that word again. You know, I do the work, and, and I'm telling you, this has to be balanced. I do the work, but I work from a place of rest. And I think that's, that's the big difference here. When we're striving all on our own, I'm working because i got to work. And, and, and it's all up to me. And all the responsibility and all the weight falls on my shoulders. But when I'm relying on God, I work from a place of rest. I work from a place of faith. I work from a place of trust, knowing that this is God's going to bless what I'm doing. I'm still going to do it. I'm still going to put my hand to the plow. I'm still going to do what He's asked me to do. I'm going to do my part in this. But I'm not stressed about the result because I have faith that God will do it. Amen? Amen. Deuteronomy 28.8 <clears throat> We can trust that God is blessing us. He says, The Lord will command the blessing on you in your storehouse and all to which you set your hand and He will bless you in the land which the Lord your God has given you. This is a promise for those that rely on God. When I rely on God... I have a blessing coming. I can trust that what I'm doing is not going to be done in vain. That He will complete it. Philippians 4, 6-7 through 7, 
Another verse emphasizing the same point says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. He says, ask. And because we're asking, we don't have to be anxious. We can be at peace. We can give God thanks because I know it's taken care of. See, it doesn't say do nothing. And, and that's not the biblical message either, like just don't do anything. <laughs> I mean, we, I've said this before, God doesn't need couch Christians. He needs people that will, will go and, and do. He needs doer of the words and not hearer only. But our, our trust can't be in our ability, it has to be in God's. Our striving... You know, it, it's still good to, to, to go after things and, and do the work. We can't be solely relying on ourselves, and that's that striving part. We can't be solely relying on ourselves to supplant and get ourselves to the place we want to be in. We have to rely on God. And then we will be on course for His plan for our life rather than you know, what, what we see as maybe the best. Because sometimes what I see as the best and what God sees as the best are, are going to be different. You ever experience that where what you want and what God wants are different? And then you got to make a choice. Am I going to do what I want or am I going to do what God wants? Am I going to strive and supplant myself or am I going to rely on God's grace and mercy in my life? I'm telling you, grace and mercy are always better. Look, let's, I'm going to give you a quote and then we're going to read Psalm 20 verse 7 and then the worship team is going to come up and we're going to close service out. So you got the plan, all right? Here's a quote for you by one David Schroeder, pastor emeritus, <laughs> says, rest is the highest level of faith there is. <clears throat> I thought that was so good when he said it. Rest is the highest level of faith that there is. Because at rest, you are totally confident that God is able. Faith is confidence and trust in God. When you trust him so much that you're able to rest, take a step back from the strive, to stop your strive and say, God, I know that you've got it. I don't have to work this thing up on my own anymore. I know that you've got it. Stop the strive. Psalm 20, verse 7. And then worship team, if you'd come up. You can come up now. <clears throat> Psalm 20, verse 7 says, Some trust in chariots. And some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. Felt like this psalm just summed it up so well. Some trust in armies, some trust in possessions, some trust in peoples, some trust in themselves. But I will trust in the name of the Lord my God. And when I trust in his name, I'm confident, I'm secure, I'm at rest knowing that he's got it, knowing that the plan for my life is securely in his hands, that, that the identity that I've had up to this point that is inaccurate, he can make that change. He, he can take what I have defined myself as, and, and he will change that into his definition for my life. He will do it. He will succeed in bringing the new definition into your life. I want us to close out this morning service and, and we, we are running out of time but I ask that you just stay and do this with us um, as we finish service up this morning. We're going to sing the song Do It Again.
because it is God who does the doing. We can strive, we can supplant, we can do it. We can try to work it up and do it ourselves, but it is so much better to rely on the mercy and grace of God. I believe that this morning, the Holy Spirit is speaking and saying there are people that have been trying to do it on their own. Whether that be, be a, a situation or, or it's, it's a work thing or it's a relationship thing, or maybe it is this identity thing. Where, where I've just been trying and trying and trying and trying to be the person that I want to be, that God has called me to be, and it's not working out. I haven't got there. I can't make myself what God has called me. We've been doing this series, and, and Pastor Isaac, I hear you saying that I can be who God's defined me to be, but it's just not happening for me yet. Our striving and our supplanting are not the way that God's definition comes. God's definition comes for us by resting in His grace, by resting in His mercy, by having faith enough to believe that God will do it in me. And so today, I ask that you guys all stand up with us, and I want us to sing this song, Do It Again. And if there is anybody in here who would be bold enough to say that I have been trying to be something, I have been trying to do something out of my own power, unsuccessfully, and I'm tired of being unsuccessful at it. I'm tired of striving on my own. I'm tired of trying to supplant myself somewhere and I'm ready to receive God's mercy and grace, then I want you to come up and worship right up here and say, God, I want your mercy, I want your grace to be who you've called me to be. I want to be who you've defined me to be. I want to live the life you've called me to live. And I know the only way that that can happen is by your power. If there's anybody in here who is ready to receive that grace and mercy, I want you to come up. I believe there is a power, an anointing to receive grace today. And so we're going to sing this. Go ahead and you can start singing. And if anybody comes up here, I'm just going to pray with you that God would give you the grace and mercy, the power to be who he's called you to be. Amen. Amen. Would you worship? And, and if you want to come up and agree with this, then, then come up.
Jesus for making me able to live in the definition that you've given me. Hallelujah. Lord, we receive that today. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your promise of mercy and grace that allow us to stop that striving life, to, to, to stop being the supplanter, the person that has to make it happen on our own. God, we give that up to you today. What we receive like Jacob did is the name of Israel. God contends. God contends for me. Oh God, there is great joy knowing that you are contending on our behalf. You are working on our behalf. God, we still bring our best. We still do the work, but we do it in faith and in rest, knowing that you are good and your grace is sufficient. We believe that. We believe your word and we pray in the name of Jesus and everybody said amen. Amen. Well, thank you all so much for coming out this morning. I hope you were blessed. And I hope as you go, you take this truth with you. That it wouldn't just be for right here in the sanctuary, but it would be for everywhere out there. That I don't have to strive. I don't have to push. I can rest in faith. Amen. Amen. Well, go and be blessed today. Have a wonderful week. Enjoy the nice weather. And we'll see you on Wednesday or next Sunday. Or on Saturday. <laughs>